another letter arrives addressed to Harry and then we just descend into this sort of tit for tat where Vernon desperately tries to stop these letters arriving well you've got loads of money now so um, off you go I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a pint. <laughs> yeah, it's just taken him into the bank and just got, like, two massive handfuls of coins. He may as well have just painted a target on his back. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know where he is. He's in this world doing. that you don't know anything about the rules about how it works. That we have definitely established. You are very unsure about how it goes. You don't know anything about any of it. Here's some money. Go. Hello. Welcome back to Shark oh. Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. We're back. We're, We're bad. And we've we? got a big book for you. It's Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, <laughs> we do nothing, nothing but the best. I was expecting more of a reaction than that. You kind of just left me twisting in the wind then. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did my, did my, yeah. I, I went for a low and reverent intake of breath, <laughs> which I'm now aware may not have come across on the recording. By that the way, was the audio should... equivalent of me putting a hand up for a high five and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, what that was, was in my defence, that was the audio equivalent of you putting a hand up for the high five, me ignoring it completely and doing a wink in the gun instead. If you're joining us for the first time, what we do is we take a book and split it down into a few parts and then we take you through it from start to finish, from page one to the end. Normally we break it down into a set number of chapters at a time and this is one of those books where mercifully I can do that so this week <laughs> never we're forget going from never forget george martin what have you done to us yeah so for uh, for this book we're starting at obviously chapter one as far as chapter six uh well up to chapter six not including it so we're finishing at the journey from platform three nine and three quarters this time i always do this i always say this is so far we're going this week in the vain attempt that someone's reading along with us. But as we've discovered, everybody who <laughs> listens to this tends to just read the entire book and then just wait for the us to catch up as we go. So I love you know, your if you do that, you're not alone. Thing. No, <laughs> yeah. it's, but you see, it's multi-channel, Matt, multi-channel. So you've given somebody the option, knowing that our entire audience will just wait until we've done it and listen to it at a stretch. Yeah, there's a certain collection of people who listen who appear to sort of take the approach that we read the book so they don't have to um so <laughs> i don't and again i don't know how how relevant that'll be for this one it certainly was for some of the others we did um but yeah just just before we get into it then dave just a couple mm. of thoughts from you on harry potter mm. in general when did you first come across it uh, and what's your sort of initial thoughts going back to it now i assume you haven't read it for a while well so i'm old enough that harry potter became massive when I was still in high school and as a matter of fact I'm old enough that Harry Potter like the publication schedule of the first few books because they were the, back when they were short before they were doorstoppers um, uh, they came out about once a year and my brother was the age that Harry was like he came, you know it came out when my brother was 11 and then when he was 12 and then he was 13 and that meant that I actually sort of underestimated them because I'm an older brother and, uh, you know, it's not unknown for me to suffer from a crippling and self-robbing arrogance uh, for that reason. So um, so I sort of, I picked up, I think I read Philosopher's Stone and I was like, I was a bit nerked by all of the sort of teasing of the, the plot that was later to come. And um, I finished that book and I read, I think I read like the first three 
and then the fourth one had a um like the back cover had all of this stuff that was basically like we're gonna answer all of your plot questions it's gonna be amazing and then you don't actually get any answers because the book ends and it trails the next book and i was so angry that i threw across the room mind you it was in hardback i threw it across the room left a dent in the door and didn't come back to it and so 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 you've you've never read beyond book four no never so this is properly this is probably even this is the first time even though i have read this book before reading this i realized this is probably the first time that i've given harry potter a fair shake well we've got our own potential long-term cliffhanger here then in that will we will you get further than last time you got as far as book four (laughs) that's the project it's a a long way it's a long way to go for us to reach that but um we'll see what we do um, let's let's take it one one page at a time, and go in with page one of uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. So we start with a chapter called "The Boy Who Lived." We start in a very normal house with a very normal family who revel in their normality. Uh, <laughs> Vernon Dudley is the master of the house. Uh, Dursley, the dad. This, what did I say? Dudley. Dudley. Dursley. Dudley. Yes, I'm you should, it. <laughs> you just you nearly stole J.K. Rowling's first first excellent bit of uh, of alliteration there. Yeah, Dudley Dursley. No. Yeah, so Vernon Dursley's the dad. Uh, he he is a director at Grunning's Drills, which is amazing. It was about the most boring job I could imagine. Um, <laughs> How long yeah. do you think J.K. Rowling sat thinking about like I'm creating this horrendous caricature of how awful it is to be closed-minded what job shall i give him how long she she sat with it before coming up with drill drill factory yes yes (laughs) yeah so yeah i think it would be quite quite considerable time because it is about as boring as i could you could you could imagine i think he's um I mean, he loves he loves normality. He's he's got a normal house, a normal wife, normal kid. They've got a little secret, but we're not going to get into that just yet. <laughs> um, it's a <laughs> it's a sort of black sheep part of the family that they never talk about. Um, but he's he's a, he's a guy. I, I really like the character of of, uh, of Vernon Dursley because he's he's like <laughs> he's so like married to normality that when things start getting weird he literally has a nervous breakdown <laughs> you see it unfold over a chapter it's, yeah I mean it's amazing how fast it happens actually isn't it because I mean so of course this character is supposed to represent you know all this stuff that Harry's getting away from and he needs to be a complete monster and and and, and he is um but it is just really funny now reading it as an adult being like like that's not actually it's grotesque but it's not a mile away from like from i think there are people who probably would just completely lose their bananas in the case of about half an hour if <laughs> if if the you know the, the what's normal to them kind of crumbled um yeah. and and he's, he's just, but the thing is that while i would have compassion for somebody having this experience in real life vernon dursley is such an awful human being that i i'm just completely on board with the mm. absolute rattling his his comfortable lifestyle is about to receive yeah so he's on the way into work and he um 
he sees these people knocking about in robes looking happy and he thinks this is weird he doesn't like he's already on edge he's thinking this is unusual i don't like this one of them comes up to him and shakes his hand presumably this guy's drunk shakes his hand and goes rejoice you know who's gone even muggles like you should be happy and sort of presumably staggers off and he's sort of left with eyes wide thinking what is going on today what is going owls on? <laughs> there are reports on the news of owls and shooting stars there's this suspicious looking cat which keeps sort of following him around as well <laughs> it just feels like the start of like some kind of story about this bloke who just goes in, goes insane and maybe dark things happen later at this stage do you know what I would pay to watch that horror short if somebody took the first sort of chapter of Harry Potter as a series and then just took it off in another direction of there's not actually Harry doesn't exist and it's just about how this guy responds to his town suddenly being like full of owls as well. Like he's driving down the thing and there's like owl after owl after owl flying overhead. Everybody walking around like a sort of, you know, 60s rock concert tribute kind of flash mob of people from the Grateful Dead, you know, long hair big old robes drunkenly <laughs> staggering around everywhere hugging everybody with complete happiness because of somebody they won't name um, I, lo- I, love, I love the fact that there are some people in robes knocking about doing this there are owls flying around and shooting stars and everybody else is just acting like everything's normal and he's the only <laughs> yeah, one he's like, noticed yeah. it's, it's, it's the 60s revival vintage fair down the road Vernon did you not know yeah no they're just hanging out they, I mean I mean you know obviously it's a bit odd but you know owl sales are up so that's good yeah yeah so we get we get to nightfall things are going to go from bad to worse for, for Vernon because um, someone's going to show up which he's altogether unwelcome even though he's very very small at this page so firstly a guy appears in a robe one of these as you say biker reenactment sort of I don't know role players but a cosplayer <laughs> he shows up wizard cosplayer chap. number one <laughs> yeah this old chap in a in a robe and the cat the suspicious looking cat turns out that's a person it turns into a, a sort of oldish lady who's a teacher uh, Dumbledore has this bit of kit this sort of light grabber so basically all the light street lamps turn into little sort of orbs all the all the light sources and shoot into his like lighter so the, yeah, so the streets it, it does look like a cigarette lighter as well doesn't it yeah what a cool bit of kit yeah um so this is our first introduction to this is our introduction to this guy called Dumbledore who'll be a really big part of the series um the sort of ultimate sort of good guy wizard isn't he basically yeah yeah he's certainly set up that way at this point um Spoilers? No, no, no. That's, I, don't, I don't think that is. <laughs> the uh, the other person who used to be a cat so is called Miss <laughs> McGon Miss, Mrs McGonagall Miss McGonagall she's McGonagall anyway. Yeah, is she a Mrs. Or Profe- no, she's a professor. Matthew, thank you very much. She bears oh, an yeah. honorific appropriate to her. Yeah, rank. yeah. I should stop. It doesn't matter, does it? She's a miss. No. If she's a Miss or a Mrs. She's no. a prof. Yeah, she's so married. That's... She's married, Matthew, to knowledge. Yeah, so I can put that in my patriarchal pipe and smoke it. <laughs> so Professor McGonagall is uh, is there? She's she's a bit pissed off because everyone's celebrating so like obviously, <laughs> and she's like, "You're supposed to be keeping a low profile." This lot, 
There's always one person, isn't there? <laughs> like, because this is like this. This sort of has the 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 so what we find out has happened here has a sort of it's 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 like a, his, a history making event for everybody mm. who, who knows magic that this that this uh, you know who uh, should have gone away, um, and and you know like once in a lifetime, once in many generations, and the, and all day she has been. In the form of a cat sitting motionless on a suburban wall looking at a house. And she's like, I don't know why everybody's not taking it as seriously as I am, all right? This is where we're supposed to be. And you're all with the shooting stars and the drinking and the robes. Owls overhead. Get it together, guys. Suburban wall, cat, look at a front door. That's the way it should be. That's how we celebrate around here. Yeah. It's because after 11 years... This guy called Voldemort, who Dumbledore <gasps> names, is gone, and that's um, that has caused this mass celebrations. Um, there's also this rumor, though, that a few other people have also have actually a few other people have died in the process. Basically, this um, this couple <laughs> called Lily and James Potter have died, yeah. um, have been killed, but a baby, the kid, the little baby boy, has survived. Right, which which. Obviously sets us up for the for for the the entrance of the pots, but I have a question here. If it's known that Voldemort is dead, then it's also known that a baby survived, and it's also known then that at least two different people have been killed, and everybody is still doing the full end of days knees up like drunk in the street mere hours afterwards with with just overwhelmed with joy and happiness at this event i begin to understand why professor mcgonagall is uh, is a bit more sober about this like if the day yeah. started with death it's a bit weird to be hammered or at least merrily merrily celebratory by two in the afternoon or whatever it is i mean dursley's going to work isn't he so he's it's nine in the morning and there's a guy who walks up to him and sort of grabs him around the waist and goes even you should celebrate have a drink <laughs> yeah i quite like that i think it's um quite realistic in that if you didn't know like these this this couple lily and james you think that's sad but if it's a this mm. massive shadows lifted you're gonna be mm. you're gonna be celebrating whereas yeah maybe people like mcgonagall she's she's naturally a bit more sort of reserved and uh, anyway mm. but um but yeah she's sort of still thinking on 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 those two yeah um so yeah this little baby is called harry and um from the it will turn out in a few pages the wizarding world um and dumbledore's decided that he wants harry to be brought up by the Dursleys, part, partly because he wants to keep him away. He's going to grow up famous, Harry, so yeah. he wants to keep him away from all the fame. Yeah. Um, so he's going to do that. Partly, mm. presumably, he just loves an odd couple setup as well. So he picked <laughs> the Dursleys. <laughs> Albus Dumbledore has an impeccable instinct for comedy and sitcom setups. <laughs> so, so Harry arrives in the arms of this giant guy on a motorbike flying motorbike this guy's called Hagrid mm. and yeah. we meet the boy we meet the scar it's, can you hear the baby in the background as well it's almost I, like I've planned I, it I did hear that and I'd like to I, <laughs> absolute hats off well well played that baby yeah that isn't sound effects that's producer Ted my uh, my own little baby um, just trying to add a bit of, bit of texture to the uh, discussion here so um, yeah Hagrid arrives 
they drop they effectively do their classic orphan like drop Harry off in a basket on the doorstep yeah. they all sort of pat each other on the back and head off to celebrate I, 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 li- sh- I like you yeah, go on <laughs> I, <laughs> you get to the end of your thought first because I have opinions well, I just, I just thought, I'm, I always like to imagine how what head off to celebrate means for these three different people. So imagine sort of Dumbledore's is is like have a I don't know have a sherry and uh, and quiet sherry by the fire. Yeah, Hagrid's is sort of go to a metal concert or something, yeah. and uh, McGonagall's is probably just turn back into a cat and sit on the wall again for a bit. That's longer. it, isn't it? McGonagall <laughs> is turn back into a cat and sit on the same wall, looking at the same front door, but calmly rather than yeah. with tension. Yeah. I, I'm with you on Dumbledore loves a sherry. I I think Hagrid's thing may be to go and get a hogshead of ale and drink it at a single draft. Like it's just a, a swimming pool full of beer. And that's, that's yeah. the size of the thing. That would I make really sense like, considering how he is later on, actually, as well. Yeah, very much. Like, I really appreciate... I actually really warmed to the character of Hagrid here in a way that I didn't in the movie. Which is weird because yeah. I I really like Robbie Coltrane. I think he's a great, a great actor. I think he's like did great stuff but he was just a bit more like old whereas mm. Hagrid here is this sort of like if you ask me to guess 30s maybe yeah yeah like, I think that too yeah he's kind of like Otto the bus driver from the Simpsons actually he's this mm. sort of like he's like older and clearly grown up but also in many ways extremely immature and not necessarily to be messed with but also not necessarily you know, a, an adult who's going to be all sensible, hmm. and um, and I, I really appreciated him. I thought he was a great little character thing, but um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. However, however, as a as a team, you have to say these three and the decision making that they've that they've reached, all right, is questionable. <laughs> like, even if you don't know how badly the Dursleys are going to go off the deep end about looking after a small baby. Like, the fact that they are the only thing that's prevented them from turning into complete raving sociopaths is the fact that they haven't been asked to do anything they weren't already expecting to do. Which I have to say is a fairly accurate depiction in in many ways of a certain cultural type in the UK. Um, But... um, is it really the best option? Was this the only way of preventing Harry from growing up with his head turned by celebrity? To put him with a family, like, and leave him on the doorstep as well with a letter explaining all the really important stuff. Not handing him over and saying, by the way, this is the situation, hope this is okay. <laughs> Just, here's a baby, there's a letter, I don't see what else we need to do here. Backup plans, redundancy, yearly checks, not a thing. No way, we're not doing any of that. I am the yeah. wisest wizard in the history of wise wizardry, and I think the most sensible thing to do is leave the most important baby in the history of wizarding on the doorstep of people who literally don't know what a wizard is. <laughs> what could possibly no. go wrong? No, is the more to this than meets the eye? We may find Ooh. out. Oh, hit me with a the fan theory. I feel like there's a um, fan theory coming in. Uh, I can't really do fan theories with this because I've read all the books. Okay. I can't. <laughs> So I, I, I sort of try to be making up false. I just, to be honest, I just I can't I can't bring the myself the energy to um, to come up with to energy. make up fan theories which I know are wrong. So we'll just say more will be revealed at a later date, maybe even later books. But um, yeah, it does feel like a 
it does feel like a remarkably reckless thing to do. We'll leave it at that for now. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, chapter two, The Vanishing Glass. We're going to scroll forward, Dave. We're going to scroll forward ten years. <gasps> and um, rather heartbreakingly, there's been no redecorating in this house. There's, the living room's the same. The bedrooms are the same. The kitchen's the same. For a, for a family that love normality, you'd think they'd be into sort of a bit of DIY. That's what normal people do, but no, not the Dursleys. No. Lazy um, normality, Matthew. Lazy yeah, normality. Exactly. If um, chintz Harry, was good enough for my grandmother, it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, Harry's woken up. Um, he's a, he lives, he, he sleeps under the stairs, Dave. So they've not really taken the please look after this child as one of your own. Presumably that's what they were told to do. Not done that seriously. And he's stuck under the stairs. He wakes up, but he's woken up by his aunt because he's on bacon duty. It's Dudley's birthday. Dudley is the uh, the son, the, the, the firstborn of Vernon's. Uh, and Dudley's an interesting character Vernon's himself. new <laughs> suburban royal line. One day, my son, all this will be yours except the privet hedge on the left because that's over the line on the property belonging to the house next door. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's Dudley's birthday. So uh, Harry's woken up to go on baking duty. So he's given responsibilities. Baking duty is a big deal when, um, when you're putting a breakfast together, especially a birthday breakfast. All right, yeah. Um, he's described... Um, I love the way Harry's described. He's sort of thin and like longish hair glasses a little bit geeky a little bit downtrodden i just think jk rowling's just hitting all the notes here for any sort of slightly awkward child who isn't it wants to sort of escape into a fantasy world this is perfect but it doesn't feel oh right okay Have you, are you familiar with the, the the idea of a mary sue yeah yeah right it's so mary like you in the book yeah exactly like somebody will write a character in in fiction particularly in like fantasy and sci-fi fiction the whole point of which is to just be one-dimensionally have no character of their own and just be a place where the reader can go oh that's me that is Hmm. and like nothing happens so that's not what jk rowling is doing here even though you're absolutely right it's this checklist of what it's like to be 11 and you know, slightly gawky, not really sure what's going to happen next sort of thing. No idea that things are going to turn out all right. And, um, and you know, just uncertain in a way that is, is can feel quite worrying, even if you haven't lived under the stairs for a decade, locked there by a family who use you to cook bacon and hate, and that's it. Um, it's just... But you're right, it is... It, 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 I, that struck me particularly is... I don't really understand why I didn't connect with this character back then because that's a fairly good beat-for-beat description of what I was like when I was 11. And so I, I don't know how it didn't work on me. Yeah, so Dudley comes down to see his 36 presents and he's not happy because he had 38 last year. Um, <laughs> enters into a process of negotiation with mum and dad um, <laughs> with, with raised voices. Um, he has this sort of massive tantrum gets himself some extra presents and I love how um, Vernon like claps him on the back he's like little tight just wants his money's worth like such a proud dad and he's like awful child (laughs) goodness me I love the idea like as well as the fact that that is a morally reprehensible thing to do to raise a child to believe that that's an appropriate way to behave also whose money's worth it's not (laughs) Dudley's money's worth is it (laughs) What he wants, Vernon, is to make sure he's getting more than your money's worth. Okay, if that's your idea of a good time. 
Now, it turns out that normally Harry's shipped off to a babysitter on Dudley's birthday, so he can't take part in the fun because um, they always go and do something fun and they've got to stop Harry doing it at all costs. But it turns <laughs> out that the, ba- <laughs> the babysitter is unavailable this time, so he's got to come along to the zoo oh, and Dudley's furious. me, yes. Mm. Well, all right, so it, here's a question for you. Um, does it... Again... J.K. Rowling is doing something deeper and more complicated than this, but is it? Do we buy the fact? Because the whole the whole thing is the Dursleys hate Harry because his mum. So Mrs. Dursley is his mum's sister, and his mum went off to school and and you know learned about being a wizard, and mm. um and that was just horrendous. To people who wanted to live normal, quiet lives like the Dursleys, um, <clears throat> do you think that would be traumatic enough that it would just boil down to at every imaginable point? Are we doing something fun? Answer: Yes. Therefore, <laughs> Harry must have nothing to do with it. <laughs> I think uh, you could read into it a bit, a bit more, insofar as she got like from, from sort of from Harry's aunt's point of view, and this is this is quite. This is quite a jump at this stage, but you sort of get a bit more as we go on. Um, from her point of view, like her sister gets mixed up with this guy um, and does all this weird, goes off and does all this weird stuff, which ends up getting her killed. Uh, and then all that's left of her is this kid who everyone says looks just like, just looks like his dad, apart from he's got his mum's eyes. So yeah. I don't know. You could make a case for him being like a walking, talking reminder of what went wrong for her sister. And why she's not here anymore. I, I, I buy that, but for the fact that they don't have the conversation with Dumbledore, where Dumbledore goes, this is what happened, your sister's dead, terribly sorry, anyway, here's a baby. They just mm. leave the baby. So, mm. like, and she doesn't seem to have been particularly fond of her sister either. So I, I, I know what you mean, and I think that would make sense. But, yeah, no, it's, it's just, I mean, it's a... We shouldn't analyse this too deeply, I suppose. But it's just, it's a really sort of funny thing of just like how consistently awful they are to Harry. <laughs> how at every single possible moment where something pleasant or even not unpleasant could happen to Harry, they're like, well, obviously we must stretch every sinew to prevent this from occurring. <laughs> Cancel the schedule. We've got to do some, we've got some, we've got a child's life to ruin. You know, and they, do, they put a lot of effort into it. I do think it's really realistic, actually, how Dudley just like wants to stop him having fun at all costs, even if it impinges on his own enjoyment. Absolutely, because he's just yes. so vindictive. He's just an awful child. Yeah. That I believe all day long. And they just sort of go along with whatever he wants to keep him happy. Okay, um, actually, that's but... a, that is a solid explanation of what that is. <laughs> well, left to my own devices, I think I would probably be quite nice to him. He's my nephew, after all. Never mind what his parents were like, but I mean. I can't go against my son, can I? And my son is just <laughs> awful. So awful, <laughs> yeah. I suppose it must be. There we go. So they head to the zoo and um, Harry's loving it. He gets like a second-hand ice cream and uh, he gets to sort of tag along for a while. It's just the best day ever. They go into the <laughs> reptile house and um, they see this giant snake and Harry feels a bit sorry for it because um, it's stuck in this in this sort of tank. And he ends up having this sort of he speaks to the snake and the snake seems to understand him. It sort of nods a couple of times and makes a couple of gestures. And suddenly from out of nowhere, the glass disappears 
and the snake's free and all hell breaks loose. (laughs) And um, it turns out this is the latest in a long line of weird things that's happened around Harry. And for someone like Vernon Dursley, this is like, that is the worst thing to have in a child. Strange things keep happening around around (laughs) this boy and you can't get rid of him. (laughs) You just imagine him going, I swore a solemn oath the day I started work at that drill company, that there would be, in my life, an absolute minimum of shenanigans. And you, my boy, day after day, shenanigan following shenanigan, I'm not having it. (laughs) So move to chapter three, the letter from no one. We go through the summer, um, where Dudley spends most of it playing Harry hunting with his friends, and Harry spends most of it running away. Uh, waiting for September when they go to secondary school and um, Dudley's going to go to the private school Smeltings and Harry gets to go to the local comp called Stonewall and uh, he's looking forward to that because it means he gets away from he gets away from Dudley mm. um, that's quite a that's quite a familiar tale for anyone who has the sort of life tormented by a bully you know, the chance of yeah. getting away yeah um, yeah so. that that big significant moment at 11 where you get to go somewhere else mm. i thought the whole thing of the way um smeltings is presented is really interesting because mm. hogwarts you know is absolutely the image of the sort of british public school and for those for our, for our, our friends uh, outside the uk for reasons lost to history and sense public school in the uk means a school that you pay privately for and not everybody goes to them um but uh, hogwarts is the image of that you know turrets and castles towers all the rest of it and um uh so it's dead interesting that jk rowling has kind of put in this other image of the sort of non-magical posh school um which is just is first of all is complete genius um uh, and and I, and I have to confess, um, my dad taught at a school which is just a normal public school. There was no magic, to the best of my knowledge. Um, uh, I didn't go there. I went to the comp down the road, and um, uh, there were certain elements of the the um, uh, the uniform that she describes for smeltings, uh, which are, were actually real. They were legit. <laughs> like I I have witnessed people my age going to school wearing these things now. I'm sorry to say that rather than the massive orange pantaloons or the, what is it? Is it maroon tailcoat? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, first of all, shout out to all the Bradford City supporters who would actually quite like to have worn that for school. Um, but secondly, um, uh, sadly, it wasn't that. It was the boater, the straw boater hat, the sort of flat hat. Um, <laughs> made out of straw. But I have seen people who were obliged to go to school wearing precisely such a garment and that's quite funny <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it makes the sort of robes and wizard's hat that harry buys later on slightly less unusual doesn't it yeah but, so um, you know so one of them is a bit sort of you know 19th century bit victorian and then harry's gone full-on as we say 70s prog rock revival type thing and you know gave yeah. me the choice between the two matt yeah, at this point, so we think at this point we think he's going to the comp, but then a letter arrives. Um, it's immediately confiscated by Vernon before uh, Harry can read it. Uh, Vernon reads it with dawning horror, and we don't know what's in it, but whatever it is, it isn't good as far as he's concerned. Um, <laughs> Dear Mr. Dursley, you've been selected to participate in this year's reality TV extravaganza. <laughs> no! Dear Mr. Dursley. Please find enclosed two all expensive paid tickets uh, with child to Disneyland, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
no, no. <laughs> that place will be shenanigan after shenanigan after shenanigan, and I've been very clear. <laughs> We're writing to let you know an exciting new nightclub is opening just from the corner. <laughs> that's, that's it, isn't it? Listen, we're happy to inform you that your drill company has been merged with Fun Corp. Uh, and there will now be mandatory uh, dance lessons at the start of every day. Uh, Your sincerely, Chief Clown. <laughs> we're installing a hammock in the office. There's going to be a pool table, <laughs> a foosball set. That's it. That's it. Bean bags. It's, it's, yeah, that, it's not anything so so overblown. It's like, dear Mr. Dursley, happy. Uh, I'm happy to let you know that because of a, uh, an experiment in another branch of the business, uh, from from next year we're experimenting with flexible lunch times. People may start eating at any point between 11.45 and 12.15 and take the requisite hour. I'm sure you'll agree that this will help people too. And he just crumples up in front of them. Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh my God, it's the last days of Rome. It's the last days of Rome. <laughs> Decadence. <Yeah>. Anyway, we don't know what's in it just yet. Um, but the, there's this whispered conversation between him and uh, and Petunia about how it's some dangerous nonsense. The next day, Harry asks where his letter is, and I love how Vernon says this with a straight face. He goes, oh yeah, um, it was addressed to you by mistake. I have burned it. Because <laughs> that's what I do with misaddressed letters. As a, like, it. And this, is, this is it, isn't it? This is where he starts to, to, to descend backwards without realising it into a world full of shenanigans. Is that, is that what he should do as a proper, sensible, upstanding member of society is politely return it to the post office so that it can get to its intended recipient. But no. no. No, so great is his desire to avoid monkey business that he himself will do the business of a monkey. <laughs> um, they also now move Harry into the second bedroom, into Dudley's second bedroom, um, yes. as a desperate move because, because the because, because the letter, of a letter was that wasn't delivered and definitely wasn't addressed to him and had no relevance to him whatsoever. <laughs> In a completely yeah. unrelated event, we're gonna we're gonna demonstrate <laughs> the slightest morsel of human kindness to you now. Here's a room. <laughs> I see it also just as a desperate attempt to throw the letter writer off his scent because it was addressed to the cupboard under the stairs. It's amazing. Harry's like, well, <laughs> Harry for the next year is coming downstairs, seeing an increasingly massive pile of letters in the cupboard under the stairs, wondering, <laughs> but, but I've got my room now, I've got everything I want, so why would I ask? Yeah, this is the first time they, they go against Dudley's wishes. Dudley doesn't like this one bit, giving up his second no, bedroom. Um, his litany of uh, attempts to reverse this decision is amazing. He is sick on purpose, uh, <laughs> and he also throws his tortoise through the greenhouse roof, which is, uh, again, incredible. Incredible feat of strength, because they're not you. small, those things. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> like again again like just n- not responding to this with i don't know like shackles or something uh is another sign of vernon dursley ceasing to be quite the uh level-headed uh champion of rationale that he believes himself to be um taught us through the roof mind you mind you one of the things we are told um when harry moves into um dudley's spare bedroom which is full of all the toys he's already broken um is that those toys include the miniature tank which has been in there since he used it to drive over next door's dog. 
Like, still bits of dog in it. There's still bits of, that is dark. Like that's that I noticed they didn't put in the film adaptation. <laughs> like Harry just like I've got this new room and there's an owl coming in and out I suppose, but then at the same time there's a dead dog over there. Um, are we going to talk about that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, left that bit out. So um, this this now dis- another letter arrives addressed to Harry, and then we dis- descend into this sort of tit for tat where Vernon desperately tries to stop these letters arriving, and the let the mysterious letter sender just keeps sending more and more. So a second letter arrives. Uh, Harry gets up early the next day to try and sort of catch the post as it that sort of first thing but Vernon's already there at the door he nails up the letterbox <laughs> again again a man sleeping at the bottom of his own stairs so that his young <laughs> nephew can't get to the post first in the morning in a sleeping bag shenanigan I say this yeah. this Vernon is a shenanigan he nails up his own letterbox the letters come through the windows he boards up the entire house the letters keep coming through the fireplace so- the house <laughs> I like the bit there where he's boarding up the house and it says something like he's, he's whistling like a, a cheery tune as he's doing it and he's jumping at loud noises. <laughs> so he's really like descending to a dark place here already. Should I tell you what this reminded me of actually? And the rest of this sequence as well where they, they you know, like they, they go on the road. Again, a missed opportunity for a road horror movie is, is what's coming next. But um, uh, it reminded me of it's a bit weird, but have you ever heard of a cartoon called The Cat Came Back? Uh, no. So it's, it was a sort of animated like short film. It wasn't a series or anything. Um, it was just it was six minutes long, seven minutes long or something. Um, uh, which for some reason, when I was quite young, I was about six or seven years old, they, uh, the BBC played it quite often as like a, as like a filler piece if a, if a programme was like a few minutes short and they needed mm. to get to the news or whatever. They put this thing on beforehand. And um, it won an Oscar, and it's just this, this piece of animation about a guy living in a house on a hill, and a cat turns up at his house one day, and he doesn't want the cat to be there, but mm. the cat doesn't want to leave. And it's just this increasingly frenzied sequence of attempts to get rid of this cat. And it is, it's really funny. And actually, I was reading this whole sequence going, this is the cat came back, but with letters. This is incredible. <laughs> now, if you get a chance, go on YouTube and look, the cat came back. It is it's really funny, strange uh, um, bit of animation. <laughs> this, this letter arriving fast continues. So Vernon, in a desperate attempt to save his family from yet more letters, runs away. They, they go to this crappy old hotel and um, the letters still find them there. They end up basically in this shack on a rock off the coast and <laughs> Vernon's arrived and he's brought rations which turn out to be a few bags of crisps and some bananas <laughs> speaking of bananas he's, this is, he's in a dark place now isn't he I like that he's like he's so clearly outside anything that his life experience or like his desire to learn will ever have prepared him for like if you'd have you know 11 years ago if you'd have said Vernon why don't you think through what the right way might be to become a fugitive from a very very enthusiastic postal service and uh, and preparing the right sort of food to take to let's just say an isolated rock with a shack on it and uh, in the middle of the sea he would have punched you in the face or or just you know 
coldly shown you the door or whatever his version of that would have been. But um, but so and it just shows because he's like, I've got provisions for the four of us, and it's three bags of crisps and a couple of bananas, <laughs> and nobody says, <laughs> "What's the matter with you? Why are we here? Yeah. Why is this dinner? <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, Petunia is remarkably like just sort of humouring here. She's isn't she? on board. She isn't doesn't she? speak up at all. <laughs> Goodness me! Although, I mean, you know, she's she's a lot of experience now in 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 uh, humouring uh, an uh, otherwise, you know, apparently wholly dysfunctional, self-focused, monomaniacal male member of her family. So maybe this is just part of <laughs> part of the course for her. She's like, oh, all right, okay. I suppose this is where he Here gets it from. Again. Off we go. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of the uh, the post that you have you have won uh, five pounds in a free postal draw episode of ninety two, where we had to move to the Isle of Wight. For <laughs> where we had to move to the Isle of Wight. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it was a very lovely place that we moved to. Don't get me wrong, cows absolute delight but equally mm. it was slight overkill i would have said although i wouldn't ever have said that obviously yeah so it's a dark and stormy night we're um we're on this rock in the middle of almost like a little lighthouse in the middle of nowhere little shack it gets to midnight and harry thinks it's my birthday another crap birthday and then boom <gasps> happy birthday harry it's the There's best birthday the ever <laughs> Which brings us to the Keeper of the Keys. Hagrid's here again. He bursts him, um, starts to make himself at home, like like ev- everything's normal. Meanwhile, Vernon, <laughs> Vernon's right, packing. iron out. Here we go. <laughs> Sausages. Yeah. Vernon might only have brought a couple of bags of crisps and some bananas for food, but he, he hasn't skimped in the munitions department. He's got a double-barreled shotgun. So he's <laughs> from, from where? <laughs> I should, again, I feel like we should contextualise this for our, our American friends. Um, it's really difficult to get hold of a gun in the United Kingdom for a lot of uh, for a lot of reasons. But a double-barreled shotgun is not something that you go into, let's just say, the supermarket and buy over the counter. Um, so I love the idea that he's wherever he's gone, he's clearly spent quite a lot of time finding a shotgun, and then he's just stopped at whatever motorway service station was closest to the shack on the rock in the sea <laughs> in order to get whatever bags of crisps and bananas he can grab without fully going in through the front door. But I've got my shotgun, got my artillery, though, I'm sorted. Yeah, that's it. I think he had eight hours to get what he needed and get out and he spent 7 hours and 55 minutes climbing a shotgun and the last 5 minutes getting the food listen, yeah. listen I, it's fair to say that I have gone off the deep end stay with me, I need some armoury, can you help? Yeah. what do you mean no? god now I've got to go to the place down the road <laughs> he, should have, he should have saved his time because all, all the good it does him straight away Hagrid just bends it out of shape oh um, without Isn't even glorious? hardly a glance, yeah, yeah, um, it's just like, uh, man, you do not know, you do not know, but you're about to find out. <laughs> now, a couple of things happen here now, um, which I'd like to talk about. The first is um, Hagrid's dawning realization that Harry doesn't know anything about where he came from, which, if you remember, was the whole point of this. <laughs> but Hagrid is absolutely just flawed by the fact that Harry's grown up ignorance of what's been going on 
Um, so he's furious with the Dursleys for not telling Kerry that he's a wizard, not telling Kerry that he's famous, not telling Kerry that what really happened to mum and dad. Um, I love I've, that. I've got a certain level of sympathy for the Dursleys with this <laughs> because <laughs> I think if, if Dumbledore had sat them down, he would have said, please keep this on the down low because oh, I don't think he probably used those words. Albus <laughs> <laughs> Dumbledore would have thought, now listen, how do I speak? Would it be like seeing somebody from an incredibly posh background try to talk to somebody from an incredibly normal background and just be like, mm. how do I get down with the chaps? Mm. Um, the muggles, they use these expressions. Could, could, you, could you keep this on, on the down low? Would you mind ever so much? Thank you. Not realising at all that the Dursleys are really not not the kind of people who would use that phrase. <laughs> now, I've got to give I've got to give Dursley some credit here, Vernon. Um, he does show a certain level of bravery to keep, despite the sort of intimidating nature of Hagrid. He just keeps going back to the well to try and pour cold water on this story. <laughs> and at every turn, he risks, like, provoking this guy. But so desperate is he to sort of pretend this weird, like, unusual stuff isn't real. He'll just keep going there, Vernon. So if we just go through it. So he makes himself at home, Hagrid. He's shocked that Harry knows nothing about Hogwarts. Starts bollocking the Dursleys. Um, <laughs> he says, you're a wizard, Harry. Meanwhile, Vernon is having this argument. Dudley's just standing there. Next, um, he says, we've got to go get your kit. You're off, to, you're, off to, you're off to Hogwarts boarding school. And then he talks about what happened to Harry's mum. And Petunia and Vernon butt in that, you know, they died in a car crash. Hagrid gets angry at that. Yeah. Dudley's just standing there. He goes on about how Voldemort killed Harry's parents. Vernon makes another attempt to say this is all bollocks and Hagrid shouts at him again. <laughs> Dudley continues to just stand there. They talk about how Voldemort might still be out there, um, that he's only ever been afraid of Dumbledore. Vernon has a go at Dumbledore just to sort of <laughs> continue to poke the bear. Oh, oh. Dudley continues to just stand there in the corner Hagrid's had enough and sticks a pigtail on Dudley. <laughs> on Dudley. <laughs> just <laughs> stood there. <laughs> I just completely missed that. I suppose J.K. Rowling in writing this is just sort of hoping that, no, that like all the awful things Dudley has done up to this chapter make it feel justified. Because I completely missed that. He's, he just well imagined Dudley being like, what the... Why? Why me? Look, it's my dad that's gone mental with the flipping three bags of quavers, a banana and a shotgun. Why, why am I over here with the... All right, fine, I'm a really awful human being, but I'm, I wasn't just then. <laughs> I like to imagine he's fired it at, Dur at, Durs at Vernon and you just hear the sort of the ricochet sound <laughs> and suddenly Dudley's got a tail. <laughs> That's amazing. So how suddenly Hagrid's trying to find a way to apologise in embarrassment for the fact that he's really bad at doing magic and has accidentally put a pig's tail on this kid. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you, I loved, apart from that, uh, that particular event, which sat strangely with me before you gave it such an amazing breakdown, um, I, I really do like Hagrid's, like, absolute, like, dumbfounded outrage that Harry doesn't know any of this stuff. Because 
I think, and you'll forgive me for getting a bit serious here for a second. I actually think that if, like Harry, you have the kind of experience in in, in school and in kind of childhood that makes you feel rubbish, like if you're bullied or you feel a bit out of sorts, you're out of it, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, that becomes what's normal to you in your world, and you can believe. And this is, in many ways, this is the appeal of the whole the whole series. You can believe that you that that the you you feel as bad as you deserve to and that this is somehow reflective of like who you are as a person as well of angst in kind of in teenage years sort of sort of emerges from and of course that's bollocks nobody is worth as little as they can be made to feel in the playground nobody not ever not once is worth as little as that as they can be made to feel and so there is actually in Hagrid's kind of complete incredulity at this there is actually something really beautiful you know something being written by somebody who is herself a parent going you I cannot begin to overstate how utterly outrageous it is that you believe poorly about yourself because of what because of what's happened to you in your early childhood that is nonsense that is a complete outrage and I actually found this, as well as being really funny, because I like Hagrid, and I think it's really funny, and I think the image of a man that size going, what the what? What on what is what? Just really losing it, like, in instalments, just because he can't get his head around it all at once. is really funny. Um, I actually found something quite moving about it as well. It was quite touching. It's just this sort of, like, look, there's no way you should feel... You should think of yourself as being a kid who deserves to live under the stairs and be treated poorly by everybody he's close to. That's just not the way mm. it's supposed to go. And that's true of everybody. Um, and so, and I just, I can't actually think of very many other examples of where I've really seen that kind of, um, uh, uh, that sort of loving, righteous indignation acted out. But it's great. Mm. And Hagrid's just so perfect to be the character who does it. Yeah, and he, he lays some pretty big stuff on Harry during this sort of this whole exchange. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, yeah. his outrage then carries him right into tactlessness, doesn't he? Like, kind of like, <laughs> I've got to tell it all right now. Go. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, it's a uh, it's a lot of backstory there. So there's a bit about how how his parents died. We've kind of touched on it already. How Voldemort couldn't kill Harry for some reason, um, and that meant the end of him. And how he's a uh, yeah, he's a wizard. So they leave. Uh, Is Hagrid it, by takes the way, him can, can he be said to be a wizard now, since he hasn't been to wizard school yet? Mm, good question. Is wizard yeah. is a wizard just something you are or something you learn? Oh, is we'll it born out. or made? Mm. Um, and then we, he, he sort of takes Harry away, explains that he actually isn't allowed to do magic, Hagrid, because he used to go to Hogwarts, but he was expelled. We don't know. Uh, yeah, and I somehow skipped past that, and now I really want to know what he was expelled for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure I've been told it at some point in my watching of the movies, and I'm equally sure that you're not going to tell me until we mm-hmm. come across it in the books. Was it sticking a pigtail on some fat kid? Is he yeah, just or, got? Is he got previous? By mistake, he was actually <laughs> aiming mistake. at some other kid, and then stuck a pigtail on the guy standing next to him. Did he put the pigtail on Dumbledore by accident? <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know, or will we'll we? Never know. We'll, we will know, but anyway. Fan Chapter five for today, Diagon Alley. Harry wakes up and he keeps his eyes closed for a bit because he's like, oh man, that was a dream, wasn't it? 
um, I'm going to wake up and we're going to still be in that weird little shack with Uncle Vernon losing his mind. But yeah. it turns out, no, um, he is he is with Hagrid and this owl's delivering this newspaper, so he's got to pay it. Um, and they're off to get Harry's kit. So they go to, uh, they go to London and they go to this uh, place called the Leaky Cauldron. Um, and this is this is sort of almost the the gateway into the wizarding bit of the world because you go into the back and you, you tap these bricks and through you go to uh, Diagon Alley, which is the big sort of shopping street for the for the for the wizards. But if we just sort of rewind a little bit, yeah. Sorry, yeah, go on, Dave. No, no, I was going to say I love like if this series had been written anywhere else in the world, there's no way that a slightly kind of tumble down, not very well cared for dingy pub there's no way that would be the gateway to a world of magic and splendor but because this is written by somebody from the uk it just absolutely perfectly fits and i know countless pubs that are just like that which in their own way are gateways to a magical world <laughs> yeah yeah on the way to the pub they uh, they talk about how the magical world um is kept quiet the people who aren't magical <laughs> Can does never does know it have something to do with on. not running down the street at moments of great elation, wearing robes <laughs> and slightly tiddly and hugging commuters to tell them about stuff that's happened? Yeah, that it, does it have something to do with not doing that? <laughs> yeah, that was an oversight. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the thing I love about this part of the book was you get the little sort of list of things that Harry's got to buy. It in- includes things like his robes, his cloak, his hat, a list of the books he'll need. He'll need his wand, his cauldron, and all this stuff is sort of gives you a taste of what's coming and, and really sort of gets you excited for the for the rest of the book. Um, on the way through the Leaky Cauldron, this is where sort of a lot of the sort of wizards hang out um, for having a couple of drinks, and this is where he gets his first sort of heroes welcome, Harry, and people mm. keep coming up to shake his hand, including yeah. Doris Crockford, um, Dirty Doris Crockford, who <laughs> keeps <What>? keep, <laughs> keeps coming back for more she shakes his hand wanders off comes back shakes his hand again can't, can't get enough shakes his, can't get enough um, tragically <laughs> That's I think amazing. this is the last she just loves Doris. celebrity <laughs> yeah. shake your hand again no you've had enough of that <laughs> I would have loved it if Doris appeared in every book just shaking his mm-hmm. hand at some point that would have been amazing uh, maybe that'll happen it won't maybe um, oh spoilers spoilers he also meets this professor called Professor Quirrell who's got a stutter because he had a running with some vampires in the Black Forest at some point. He's the Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher, and he just seems to be constantly shitting his pants. Sorry, he seems to be constantly (laughs) packing his pants. I love this. Finding the swear jar for me. I know. (laughs) I I, I love the idea that, like, he's the Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher, and the the only thing he'll talk about is the time when he encountered dark arts in magic and it did not go well. Um... And and it, that's that's what you'll find out immediately. He's like, oh, I'm a very nervous person, and it's because of the vampires. Anyway, I'll be teaching you how to deal with vampires. <laughs> please, please take yeah. my classes seriously. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's um he's sort of failed his way into teaching there, hasn't he? Um, as Professor <laughs> Quirrell. I feel, yeah, I that's feel like exactly he, right. I feel like he, he got the job out of sympathy. He doesn't seem to be the uh, the greatest. Defense against the dark arts teacher you'll ever see, mm-hmm. but who knows? Maybe the experience has made him a good teacher. Ah, uh, maybe so, maybe so. So they go to um, 
they've got to get obviously if they want to buy a lot of stuff they've got to get some money and it turns out that Harry's actually quite rich his mum and dad have left him a load of money so they've got to go to the bank to get it but not just any bank the wizard bank it's called Gringotts mm. it's run by goblins and as they walk in there's a sign that says enter stranger but take heed of what awaits the sin of greed for those who take but do not earn must pay most dearly in their turn so if you seek beneath our floors a treasure that was never yours thief you've been warned beware of finding more than treasure there which is basically the the wizarding version of no cash is kept on this premises overnight <laughs> but um <laughs> no tools in van overnight <laughs> no tools that's in amazing van. That's trespassers incredible. will be prosecuted yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it trespassers will be shot survivors will be shot again basically yeah. i first of all like any any fictional universe that involves people being warned of quite serious things in verse i i really appreciate just because somebody was like she was put up a sign saying no thieving and they're like no oh, come on we've got to put a bit of razzle dazzle into it all right yeah all right poetry will be poetry prosecuted. absolutely <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Boring warnings will be will be prosecuted. I'll tell you. But this actually reminds me of um, this weird thing. When I was a kid, I had a, a, a computer which had games for it, but it was like a, it was like a, a, an early PC. It wasn't a PC, but it was like that. Um, so a keyboard and stuff. And um, the games that you get for it were just like big long text files that contained all of the code, including and you could read some of it because some of it was in English about like what it all does. And there was one game that I got that was really, really difficult. It was like an adventure game, magical adventure game. Um, and I couldn't work out what the next step was that I should do. So I went and opened up this text file. And it had a verse at the top basically going, don't look in this file or your computer will get messed up. And I thought at the time, oh, that's really, that's really funny. Like, that's a really clever thing to have done. Cool. Anyway, scroll down, read it. And then... Um, and then uh, and then the computer broke, and no way, it was real. It was real, and the th- and the thing is that I'm, I di- I honestly didn't even I didn't believe that it was real. So I said something like it to my dad, and my dad just saw it was his work computer, and he looked at me and he was like, kind of, did you? I think that was real, David. I I think that was for real. So you basically went, Dad, do you know that massive button that says do not push? Yeah, just push that. <laughs> I pushed that. I pushed that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say that I had uh, my parental figures were a sight more accommodating than Harry's when I was 11. <laughs> yeah. So um, they go down to his vault. Um, this little, uh, this goblin called Grip Hook takes him down there. They go past stalactites and stalactites and have a discussion about which one's which. Do you know which one's which, Dave? Stalactites come down. Yay! Yeah, yeah. A-level geography. Goddamn nerd points. And it turns out, as we say, Harry's minted. So he gets a (laughs) lot of cash. A lot of cash out. Um, Infinite cash. And uh, then they go on to another vault, Vault 713, which is a top security one, because Hagrid's got to pick up something else. Mm. And um, there's a little parcel in there that he picks up. Um, this vault, because it's the maximum security, if you try and rob it and you're not supposed to be there, it sucks you through the door and you get stuck in there. And Harry asks this grip book guy, he's like, do you ever check if someone's been stuck inside? And the, and the guy rather nastily goes, yeah, every 10 years or so. Oh, <laughs> that's fantastic. And you know mm. that Goblin's enjoying doing it as well, just being oh, yeah. kind of casually harsh about this, this situation. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I, this is actually a great example of the, the kind of thing which a, is happening in the plot because it's going to pay off at some point, but you don't know what it is. And some of the stuff is going to get paid off in this book, and some of the stuff isn't going to get paid off until book seven. And mm. I, so this is one of the things where I read it, and I was like, I'm really glad that I now know for sure that the series ends. <laughs> because that was our problem with Game of Thrones and we did Game of Thrones and we ended up having to do the TV series rather than the books which we'd started with because there's just no prospect whatsoever of that book series getting finished and and it's just it just makes you it, it makes you feel kind of let down by the narrative whereas this at least I was reading it going it's okay Dave it's okay it's safe it's been published everybody <laughs> knows the explanation is coming yeah so they get out of the bank they've done their first trip of the day to the bank and Hagrid's like well I'm off for a drink you go and get your robes <laughs> yeah sure once again the cavalier approach to childcare, which is clearly learned from Dumbledore <laughs> he kicks in yeah. like he's gone to all this effort to get this kid out of this horrible home environment and to carry him safely to this new world and introduce him to people and keep him safe and then and people have lost it just by looking at him and you know they're all of this <laughs> and then Hagrid's Hagrid's kind of decision about the appropriate thing to do after all that is just to go well, you've got loads of money now, so um, off you go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a pint. Yeah, yeah, he's just taken him into the bank and just got, like, two massive handfuls of coins. He may as well have just painted a target on his back and just left him there. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know where he is. He's in this world doing. that you don't know anything about the rules about how it works. That we have definitely established. <laughs> you are very unsure about how it goes. You don't know anything about any of it. Here's some money. Go. <laughs> It's kind of lovely that it shows just how safe this world is if he's happy to do that. Um, so he goes, yeah, Harry goes alone into Madame Malkin's, which is the robe fitters. He meets this kid called Malfoy, one of my favourite characters in the entire book. Um, his first, the first thing Malfoy says, he like looks at him and goes, Hogwarts too, eh? And, um, and then <laughs> continues As that. if there's another school you'd be getting fitted for with the robes are there other schools in this oh there are of course actually aren't there in a later yeah, book yeah, we discovered yeah. there are actually other other schools fair there's enough only one in the, there's only one in the uk yeah so. exactly so hogwarts too eh since you're here buying a hogwarts uniform in a uniformer which exists solely to serve the people who are going to hogwarts i should i should work on my opening gambits yeah, Malfoy starts talking about all this stuff that Harry's no idea what he's on about, so he just sort of rather uncomfortably sort of nods and goes, hmm, yeah, but he doesn't quite like the way the conversation is going, but he doesn't know enough to really answer back properly. Yeah. I kind of like that insofar as this idea of, like, private and state schools and, like, state kids entering the private school yeah. world and yeah. it being just incomprehensible because yes. there is a there is a real sort of thread of that in this first book where the, yeah. the the kids who don't know anything about magic go to this school and they're, they're already a step behind because all the other kids yeah. know what they're doing straight away. Yeah, yeah. It is, I mean, and it is weird as well, and there's this thing about, you know, class is culture, and so it's a culture, it's about how you behave and what's mm. normal to you and how we do things around here. And, yeah, I really appreciated that image of Harry. I also appreciated that it's an image of Harry actually not giving anything away in a sense like he's not he doesn't know what's going on but he's not just about to nod along with this guy mm. you know he sort of trusts his gut 
um, and kind of is like, I don't, I don't really like this bloke. And yeah. particularly because Malfoy, without knowing this kid from Adam, just decides to start cracking out the heady combination of classism and racism, which is the, uh, <laughs> the opinion of people in, in uh, some people in this wizarding universe about people who aren't, um, aren't magical. Yeah. Uh, by default and I sort of love that Harry's first instinct even though he's been raised by these horrendous people who I don't think it's going too far to say the Dursleys would probably complain about ethnic diversity going to go out on a limb and say they're probably the sort of people that would do that quite a lot um, uh, nonetheless Harry's like oh you're a wrong un. yeah cool not, I'm not going to yeah. talk to you very much and I, I really appreciate that precisely because like I say that state school kid posh school environment thing is something I'm a bit familiar with and it is exactly as, as disorienting as it looks um, yeah another thing Malfoy says which I really enjoyed is he goes father says it's a crime if I don't get picked for my host team and I must say I agree and he's like must you must you <laughs> must, say must you say <laughs> which is must the word you mean to use there Draco yeah so Harry leaves a little bit nonplussed and um and he meets up with Hagrid again. Hagrid's not gone back very quickly. The name and he is out, but he's out him quickly. Uh, I can imagine him just sort of like burping as he comes out. Um, Ooh. There we go, repeated on me there. Yeah, he says Quidditch is one of the things that um, Malfoy's been talking about. He says, oh yeah, it's like football um, and everyone's mad about it. And that's enough for me. I'm interested. We'll find out yep, more later. I'm on board. <laughs> um, he carries on. Uh, doing his shopping I love this so he doesn't leave Harry to his own devices here Hagrid because he's got to sort of rein him in a bit because Harry's got all this money he he wants to just go crazy with it and he stops Harry from buying a book of curses and also a solid gold cauldron which is a complete baller move but um, Hagrid Hagrid, Hagrid just says no no it says pewter on your list we're going to get one we're getting you a pewter one because you don't turn up at an unfamiliar school with a ton of gold <laughs> in your locker. Cauldron. What a baller move that would Absolutely have been. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> they see, like, I'd love it. Harry's response to meeting this posh kid is to go like, posh, is it? Let's see if we can outdo that a bit using my cumbersome and prohibitive wealth. Here we go. It's going to be his gold cauldron. It's going to be diamante studded uh, cloak. <laughs> Just imagine, I mean, we've got to jump ahead ever so slightly into the next part here, but considering who the potions master is, imagine, and his his relationship with Harry in the end, imagine day one, Harry turns up. <laughs> gold cauldron. Gold cauldron. They, they see me rolling. They hate him. Um, that's, I, I'm just, yeah. I would be a massive fan of Harry doing that I think that would, yeah. that would just be so incredible this is the, that's the sort of thing which I don't know, have you ever watched Parks and Recreation the American TV yeah. show? Yeah. Yeah, it's so good, that is the, exactly the sort of accessory that would be sold in, um, in uh, Tom Haverford's uh, um, what is it, the rental store that he does I forget yeah. it yeah. Like, yeah, um, yeah. anyway yeah, <laughs> that place, it's so completely perfect as a matter of fact <laughs> Headcanon, I now sort of think of Harry Potter as being played by Aziz Ansari. I know it's <laughs> in my head. You know what I mean? Little kind of scrappy fella. Like, I could, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking at the picture on the front cover that I've got. It's got the sort of long black hair 
over his eyes. Mm. He's got more yeah. than a, a hint of John Ralphio about him. <gasps> oh no, no, Matt, don't go there. Don't, don't go. Although I'm very happy to accept Dudley Dursley as a gender swapped version of Mona Lisa Sapstein, <laughs> John Ralphio's sister. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you haven't seen, um, if you haven't seen Parks and Rec, we'll, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> so but watch it because it's great. Yeah. This is quite sweet. Hagrid buys Harry an owl for his birthday. He says, I'm going to buy you something as well, just as a little present. It's quite quite nice. And yeah. then they're off to Ollivander's, the wand maker. Uh. The wand chooses the wizard, it turns out. so that, That's a very good impression, Matt, I have to tell you. that was. I think much. you may have missed your vocation as a wand salesman. <laughs> Ollivander, yeah, you're right in terms of vocation. He just... He felt a calling to this job. He remembers every single wand he ever sold. He loves it. He can't get enough of wands. He's one of he's, you know. You get you go to his house. It's just full of wands. He goes on holiday. He goes to wherever they make wands. You know, he's just a wand guy. He loves it. Um, <laughs> so he he gets Harry to start trying out all these different wands. And apparently, you got to get the right one. And the wand, once you know, you, when you know, you know, and like. <laughs> You know, you get the right wand. It takes ages. They end yeah. up with piles and piles of wands that are no good. And in the end, sparks and stars fly out of one when he puts it in his hand. He's like, this is the wand for you. And interestingly, it had one other twin because it was made from phoenix tail feather and the same feather went into another wand. Do you know whose wand it was? Of course you do. Let- you read the book. Yes, I do, <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> It's Voldemort's wand. <gasps> Gasp! A parallel between our protagonist and the major antagonist. And I like Good it as a little, bit, a little dark moment with Ollivander here. He's like, yes, the man who had those that other wand did great things. Terrible, but great. So there's <laughs> a bit ropey about that guy. Other than yeah, just his it's a little bit like, I'm, I'm glad you're the person that controls the supply of the major major tool that we all use in order to be safe in the way we use magic <laughs> and you appear yeah. to be not so sure whether something whether killing loads of people is great or not yeah yeah so there we go um and then towards the, the, the last little bit we have here um harry harry gets packed off back to the dursleys for a bit because he can't go to school yet which, are, which is a bit of a twist for me because in the film yeah. he's just straight off to school yeah, um, yeah. but he on his way home he's really excited about going but also it's starting to weigh on him a bit and he says this to Hagrid just before the end that he feels under pressure because he doesn't really know what he's doing he's not used to the world and everyone thinks he's awesome at everything because he's really mm. famous and yeah. it's just that flip side of fame he's like yeah everyone's yeah, expecting yeah. big things and, and I don't really know what I'm doing it's kind of scary yeah 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 and again there's sort of emotionally like savvy like writing you know to like to have that moment where he's like I do not know what's going on because I do not know what's going on is a an extremely common experience for an 11 year old and most fiction doesn't really have it in there they just move on to the next bit where they ride the dragon and this is just a bit more complex you know yeah yeah nice little bit there's a few moments like very subtle moments in especially this chapter where you get a feel for what Harry's like He's, he mm. stops being a person, a character that things happen to, and he starts making yeah. his own decisions and having his own opinions. And yeah. Um, and yeah, you're starting to build a picture of what he's like and um, some yeah. of his strengths as well, which is quite interesting. Turns um, out, turns out she knows how to write a character. This this J.K. Rowling 
character. She uh, thought it. She, she might have a future in this business. <laughs> so there's our first first part. Well, three more parts with Harry Potter um, over the next few weeks. If you want to get involved and let us know what you think of the book so far, or at the end, if you want to leave us a review of the book, then uh, send that to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get us on Twitter, at sharkliveroil. And, you know, if you happen to be on iTunes or something like that, leave us a review. Preferably a five-star one, but, you know. Big reviews. Big reviews. What did you say? I said big reviews. It's my new... uh, (laughs) Big reviews. Big reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, we shall uh, leave that there for this week. And uh, see you next time. One's away. Till next time. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>